And we thank you that we don't have to guess who you are or what you're like because you've revealed yourself to us. You've revealed yourself to us in creation. You've revealed yourself to us in your word and fully and finally in Jesus. So we look to Jesus today to know you. Lord, we want to know you through your word. So we ask you by your spirit to show us who you are and to transform us into your image. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And at this time, we're going to dismiss our children to go back to OPBC Kids Worship. As they head back there, we take a few moments to look at God's Word together. They're going to head back. If you're a guest or visitor with us and you want to take your kids back there for their first week, that's great. We'd love to have all that information taken care of back there. So I'm going to ask somebody to grab the door if you don't mind. The rest of us, we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 42 as we continue on looking at the life of Joseph, working our way through Genesis. If you remember where we are in Joseph's story, Joseph was the favorite son of the favorite son. Joseph is the guy that his dad, uh, Jacob, had decided that, you know, he's my guy. He's my guy, and he had given him everything that he needed. Uh, in fact, he had kind of overdone it a little bit. And Joseph was also, let's just call him what he was. He was a punk kid who made sure everybody knew how special he was. You ever been in that position where people are like, you think you're better than us, and you actually go, no, I'm just better than you are. You know, that's Joseph. Joseph wasn't just the guy who thought he was better than everybody else. He actually was better than everybody else. So it's kind of a difficult life when you know you're favored and you know that God's favor is on you because he's having dreams as a teenager of how everybody's going to be bowing down to him. And so his brother's not liking that too much. They uh, throw him in a pit, plan to kill him, then sell him off into slavery to Egypt. And he goes to Egypt and he's treated poorly there even though God is with him and God is raising him up to positions he's a lot of injustice is done to him in those moments and it's all because of what his brothers did to him and now he finds himself in a position where God has brought him out of the pit and put him into the second most powerful position in the world he's second in command over all of Egypt standing beside Pharaoh and because of the dreams that Pharaoh had had and the interpretations that God gave Joseph. Now Joseph is in this this position to not just have a great position of influence, but also to care for people in the land and to care for those of other nations who would come to Egypt in the middle of a famine. That's where we find ourselves in the story. We find ourselves in a story right at the beginning of now what's going to happen is this process of reconciliation. So here in chapter 42 through about 45, you're going to see a process of reconciliation that's going to happen where Joseph and his brothers are now going to be reconciled. Joseph and his father are going to be reconciled. Things are going to come out in the wash. Sin is going to be exposed. Forgiveness is going to be given. But let's just admit it. Reconciliation is a messy, painful process. If we're being honest about reconciliation, usually the biggest obstacle to reconciliation is time. Some of us want it to happen really quickly while others aren't ready to move forward. Some of us want things on our timeline where it is that really we need God to move. We're constantly waiting. And as we look at chapter 42, what you're going to find is we're going to get to the end of chapter 42. And you're going to want things in a really neat little tidy bundle. It's all should be the bow on top. Here you go. Here's reconciliation. And we're just not there yet. It's going to take time. There's going to be a lot of waiting involved. Waiting to see if the brothers' hearts have changed. Waiting to see what Jacob will do in sending back the brothers. Waiting to see how God will deliver them out of this situation. So if you would follow along in your copy of God's Word, Genesis chapter 42, beginning with verse 1, it says this. 
when Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt. So the seven years of good crops have passed. Now we're in the middle of the famine and people are hungry. Jacob and his family all the way back in Canaan are hungry. They find out that there's grain for sale in Egypt. He said to his sons, why do you look at one another? Another way of putting that is get off your lazy behinds and get over to Egypt to get us some food. How can you just sit there and let your families die of hunger? That's that's the Brad translation here. But that's more or less what he's, he's learned over the last 13 years. Now, Joseph's been gone for 13 years. And what we have is we have Jacob figuring out about his sons what their real character is. They're a bunch of lazy bums. They're people who have no good bone in their body. They need grace and mercy just like the rest of us. He learned it most of all through Judah with Tamar that we went through on Mother's Day. Remember that? <laughs> right? Well, now he's... Now he's back, Judah's back with the family, and this is what we're dealing with. We're dealing with a bunch of guys sitting around just letting their kids die of hunger. And Jacob's like, give me some food. Go to Egypt. Why are you just sitting there? And he said, behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, who is now his favorite because Joseph is supposedly dead, Joseph's brother with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Didn't really fear too much about the other ten, but just Benjamin. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. So a whole lot of people are going to Egypt for food. Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. You can just imagine the wry smile that comes across Joseph's face when he sees his ten brothers on their faces bowing before him. That I told you so moment is about to happen, right? I told you you were all going to bow before me, and here you are. Of course, this isn't the fulfillment of the dream because there are going to be, the whole family's got to bow before him at some point. But you can just imagine that little bit of I told you so creeping up. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? He said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. So he's remembering the whole story now. Now you've got to remember, 13 years have passed. Joseph was about 17 when he was sold into slavery. Now he's right at 30. You can imagine his brothers have aged a little bit over that 13 years, especially the rough life that they're living, right? So the grays are creeping in, and they've got the Hebrew beard. When their 17-year-old brother was sold into slavery, he probably had the Hebrew beard, but instead what happens now? 13 years later, he looks just like an Egyptian. They don't recognize him. What we find out in just a few moments is he's not speaking to them in Hebrew. He's speaking Egyptian to them. So they don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. So he's got them right where he wants them. What's he going to do with it? You kind of get to this place right now. It's like, what, what is Joseph going to do? And he deals roughly with them. It says, where do you come from? He, he treated them as strangers. He didn't treat them like brothers. Just the same way he had been treated, roughly. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them, and he said to them, You are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. You come to get us at our weak time in the middle of a drought, in the middle of a famine. And they said to him, No, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. I'm sorry. <laughs> How do you even say things like that with a straight face, right? 
We're, we're honest men. Your servants have never been spies. And he said to them, No, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, We, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. Even now, their sin is being exposed, right? Even now, God is doing this work of exposing them. But Joseph said to them, It is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh you shall not go from this place unless your younger brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined that your words may be tested whether there is truth in you. Or else by the life of Pharaoh surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. So he throws them into the pit. Right? He throws them into jail. For three days. And on the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. Can you just imagine that statement from a second in command of all of Egypt being said to you as a Hebrew, saying, I fear God? They perk up. And what are they beginning to hear? They're now going to hear mercy from them, from, from Joseph. Instead of one of you go back and nine of you stay here in prison, all of you go back but one, right? And I'm going to give you a little bit of mercy here. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households. What mercy to let them take more food back. See, one guy could have only taken a certain amount of food. Now he's sending back food to care for his family and to care for their households. Let the rest go and carry for the famine of your households and bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen, so now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away, so he had to go into another room. He turned away from them and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them, and he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. Then they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. So he gives them not just the food that they need. He gives them their money back that they came to buy the food. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. He said to his brothers, my money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. You would think they'd be really happy about this. At this, their hearts failed them, and they turned trembling to one another, saying, what is this that God has done to us? Why are they so scared? Two things. Now they've got to return to Egypt at some point, possibly being seen as thieves, right? And they've got to go back to dad and explain to him how they got food and they came back with their money, but not their brother. See, they had already gotten rid of one brother for money. And now they're coming back with money and food, but no brother. Imagine the quandary they find themselves in. What are they going to do with this? How are they going to respond? When they came to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies of the land. But we said to him, We are honest men. We've never been spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, By this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me and take grain for the famine of your households and go your way. 
Bring your youngest brother to me, then I shall know that you are not spies but honest men, and I will deliver your brother to you, and you shall trade in the land. As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob their father said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more. And now you, have, you would take Benjamin? All this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. But he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you were to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. And we're left waiting. What's Jacob going to do? Anybody coming back for Simeon? Have the brothers' hearts really changed? Do you ever feel that way in the middle of brokenness, in the middle of broken relationships? You're going, can I really trust them? Can I really trust that things are changing? Can I really trust that things are moving forward? In the middle of broken relationships, we find ourselves in need of reconciliation, and yet it is messy and painful and hard. And I want to encourage you today with this. All of us have a relationship where there is reconciliation required. Everybody here has some sort of reconciliation that's necessary somewhere in your life. Because what reconciliation actually requires is a broken relationship. If there's any broken relationship anywhere in your life that requires reconciliation, there needs to be some sort of reconciliation that takes place. Reconciliation requires a broken relationship. So we're all in the same boat here. But what do we do in the middle of those broken relationships? Because here's what happens. We sin and hurt others. And we need to call it sin when we sin. There's good news. If we'll call it sin when we sin, guess what happens? There's forgiveness for that. If we say it's just my personality or it's just what I do, it's just who I am, then there's no forgiveness for that. We call it sin. There can be forgiveness for that. But we also need to recognize that we get sinned against. And we get hurt by other people. And we need to recognize when that is sin or when that is just a preference issue. Right? The things that aren't actually sin against us, we just need to bear those things and we need to move on. We need to turn them over to the Lord. The things that are sin, we need to be willing to forgive because we've been forgiven. Isn't that what we pray in the Lord's Prayer? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So forgiveness is a big part of the equation here. And yet... Everybody has broken relationships. Jacob's family was full of broken relationships. Joseph is dealing with the brokenness between he and his brothers. Jacob had been showing favoritism left and right between two wives and now between sons. Just look at the language that he says. He's the only one left, he says of Benjamin. Uh, hey, Dad? Remember me? Says nine other guys who were standing there? I mean, are you, you understand, like, he showed such favoritism that it's like, I don't really care if any of you die, but don't take Benjamin. This is how broken this family is. Judah and his brokenness. Now Joseph and the brothers. Jacob's family is full of broken relationships, but I want you to hear this. Wherever there's brokenness, there's an opportunity for grace because brokenness actually tells us we can't do anything about it. You ever, been, you ever been in a position where you needed reconciliation or you needed to fix it, but everything you actually say seems to make it worse? The quiet tells me I just hit on something. 
Yeah, you, you understand what I'm saying? Like every time you speak into it, it seems like you say the wrong thing. If you are a husband, you have done this. <laughs> Guaranteed. Your wife may be incredibly gracious and has not told you that you have done this, but I guarantee you have done this. Okay, where we, we, we actually make things worse by trying to fix them. So do we just sit there not doing anything? No, but we do need to recognize that it's broken. And that's an opportunity for grace, and we are unable to fix it on our own. We actually need outside help. The response to broken relationships is often determined by proximity. So here's what happens. We actually deal with broken relationships poorly based on how far away the person is that we have the broken relationship with. Let me give you an example. Joseph was in Egypt. His brothers, back in Canaan, broken relationship, they threw him in a pit and tried to kill him and then sold him into slavery. That's, that's cause for a broken relationship. right? But he's now been there 13 years and he's been at least in his position of ruling for more than seven and he's second in control of all of Egypt and at no point did he jump in a chariot and ride home to see his father and his brothers. He, he's dealing with his broken relationship based on distance by trying to forget. In fact, he named his first son Forget. Right? How often in our broken relationships do we just try to distance ourselves from the person and just try to forget that there's a brokenness and need for reconciliation? I mean, some of us aren't quite lucky enough to be able to move to another country. Right? Sometimes we live with the person. Sometimes we work with the person. Sometimes we go to school with the person. Sometimes the person is right next to us in the cubicle all day. And we just praise the Lord every time they leave the room. Right? And this is the proximity sometimes makes it even more difficult. This is Jacob and his sons. Jacob and his sons were trapped by proximity. They're trapped in it. While Joseph is able to escape and forget, Jacob and his sons, they're in this constant friction. And there's a brokenness there. Because the, the sons have lied, the sons have deceived, Jacob has showed favoritism, and now the, the whole relationship is broken. Can you just imagine family dinners? Maybe you can imagine family dinners because your family dinners don't look much different. I don't know. I don't know everybody's situation, but what I do know is there are broken relationships in need of reconciliation. So what does it look like? Well, reconciliation does not just require that there's a broken relationship. Reconciliation also requires God's intervention. And here in the passage, we have God intervening. He intervenes first through natural means. He uses a famine to bring the family back together. Seven years of good harvest, seven years of famine to bring this family back together, to bring them to a place where reconciliation can happen. God is going to use whatever means necessary. How many times has God used hardship and natural means to bring families together? But he also uses supernatural means here. He, he used dreams given to Pharaoh so that Joseph could interpret them. And he gives the interpretation of the dreams to Joseph. This is supernatural realities where God is working all of these things. We need intervention in our relationships. So often we try to do things in our own strength, in our own ability, and we rest in our own wisdom. And we're the problem. How, if we're part of the problem, are we actually going to be the solution? So often we think, and this is kind of the American way, right, that all of our problems are somebody else doing them to me, and the solution is somewhere inside of me that I can really just buck up and do it. 
But the gospel tells us something completely different. The problem is us, and the solution is completely alien to us. And his name is Jesus. We need reconciliation, and the only one who can do that is much more powerful than we are. The one who has never wronged anyone. We need intervention. See, God provided this reunion to transform hearts, not just to restore a family reunion. He's going to use this opportunity to transform Joseph and to transform his brothers and ultimately even transform Jacob and then to make a nation. This is what God's going to do. If God had just wanted to punish the brothers, he would have just let them die in the famine. So this isn't about punishment. This is about restoring and reconciliation. But there's a big difference between a family reunion and reconciliation. How many of you love family reunions? You guys are just weird. I'm going to lie. Like, they all sat up front, which is just weird, too, right? We're Baptists. They're sitting in the back, right? No, but just a family reunion. Some people really love family reunions. I am not one of those people, right? Because here's what family reunions can often be. You, you ever notice this? It, it, it's this. Hey, so good to see you. Oh, it's been way too long. Except you know every other conversation that's happened since the last family reunion whenever that person's not around. Oh, Doris is going to be there. I don't know who Doris is. I just That was just a name that popped in my head. Nowhere in my notes, just Doris. So if you have a Doris, that's for you. All right, you, you understand what I'm saying? It's like wait, there's this fakeness sometimes that comes out where you're just like, don't go sit with crazy Uncle Bob. Don't go. Oh, don't come over here. Don't come over Hey! It's like my mom was all the time when the phone rang, right? She could be yelling at me in the phone ring. Hello? Every mom knows that trick, right? This is, this is what family reunions can be. There's not actual reconciliation. It's just you're dealing with one another. Right? But that's not God's design. God's design is not just for us to deal with being around each other. It's that we would be reconciled. It's that we would be one in Him. So God provided this reunion now, not just so the family could get back together, but so that there would be transformation. Because reconciliation actually requires transformed hearts. And we can't do that for ourselves. We can't change our own hearts. This is something only God does. Only God intervening can change our hearts. So if you look back at the text, look at, look at Joseph here. Joseph saw his brothers, verse 7, and recognized them. And he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. That's stage one of seeing them. Now, let's just be honest. He could have been a lot rougher with them. He's second in command over all of Egypt. Brothers show up. He recognizes them, the Hebrew beards. Ten of you. Hmm. You don't. I remember the walk. I remember the voice. I remember it. They don't recognize him. He's got them right where he wants them, off with their heads. And he gets his vengeance. Washes his hands of it and goes to bed that night. But that's not what God's been doing for the last 13 years in Joseph's life. The last 13 years in Joseph's life, Joseph has been identifying with people who are suffering injustice to them. He's been changed and transformed. He's been brought to a place of humility, a place of mercy. And maybe whatever trials you've been going through, it's exactly what God has been doing in your life. To bring you to a place where now you would be ready to reconcile. 
You be ready to give forgiveness, to extend a hand of friendship, to be able to serve others, to be able to show compassion and mercy. Whatever it may be, whatever trials you've been going through, how have they served to transform your heart? He's been brought from seeking advantage. He stood before Pharaoh and could have sought advantage. In fact, he could have said, hey, there's a famine coming, but we got seven years of good grain, so I'm just going to store that up at my house. But instead, now he wants to serve. He's showing mercy, mercy to the nations. People are coming and buying, and he's not just giving them the grain. He's actually sending the money back with his brothers to care for them. He's demonstrating a heart that's been changed. But you also see the brothers. The brothers who were so quick to kill him or sell him into slavery are now the brothers who are sorrowful over their sin. Who being now is really demonstrating they're the people who are standing there going, this is what's wrong. I love it when Reuben says, I told you guys we shouldn't have done this. It's always one, isn't there? I told you guys we shouldn't have done this. But this is what they recognize. It's because of the blood that's on our hands that God is now requiring blood from us. They're recognizing the fact that they're under some sort of condemnation for what they're doing, and they're brought to a place of sorrow and even repentance where they're beginning to admit what they've done to one another. I can imagine over the course of the 13 years, you just don't speak about those things that you've done. You just kind of hope that it goes away. But now it's being brought to the forefront, and they have to deal with it. And they're brought to a place of real sorrow. Reconciliation requires transformed hearts because what's necessary is reconciliation requires forgiveness and repentance. Both have to happen. Let me just put it this way. Forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. This is really important for us to understand. Forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. Forgiveness is a one-way street. I forgive you. Reconciliation requires repentance. It requires a heart change on both sides. And here's what's needed to happen in this situation. Obviously, Joseph had plenty of mercy for his brothers. As roughly as he treats them at the first, he ends up only send, he ends up sending all of them back but one. And his desire is really to see his brother and his father, right? His really, desire is really to get his younger brother there. And he's got mercy and he sends back the grain and he sends back the money and he takes care of them far better than they ever deserved and far better than they thought they were going to get. So his heart was changed into a heart that was willing to forgive. In fact, he's even brought to a place of emotional breakdown when Reuben says, we shouldn't have done this. I told you guys we shouldn't have. Can you imagine 13 years thinking all of your brothers wanted you dead? And now one is saying, I told you we shouldn't have done this. It's probably the first time he ever recognized that one of his brothers may have actually cared for him. He's got to overcome the emotional toll of what's happened here in order to be willing to pay the cost of forgiving his brothers. Because it cost something to reconcile. It cost Jesus his life to reconcile us to God. It's going to cost something to reconcile. But it's worth it. Because for the joy that was set before him, Christ endured the cross. There's something on the other side of that reconciliation that makes it worth it. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. Forgiveness is a one-way street. Reconciliation requires both parties being willing to change or being changed. Joseph 
Joseph tests his brothers to see whether this heart change was real, whether what he was hearing was actually real. So that's why he sends them back with the money. He's going to test them to see, are they going to be loyal? Are they going to be trustworthy? Are they going to understand their guilt? Or are they going to be the ones who are just willing to leave their brother behind and just kind of dismiss him, disregard him? Are they going to be self-serving? Would they show that they could be trusted? Forgiveness looks like this. I forgive you. That doesn't mean I'm going to trust you. You've heard the old adage, forgive and forget. That's Jesus. Us. Be wise. Forgive. That doesn't mean forgive and trust. Trust comes when reconciliation happens. And that takes repentance. It takes heart change. And I want to encourage you today, if where you are right now is you're saying, I can't forgive because I can't forget. Oh, you can forgive and still remember. And you can take the first step towards reconciliation in your own heart and in your own life by forgiving. Take that step of forgiveness and ask God to do what only He can do, which is bring repentance on the other side. But let's also take stock in not forgiving. We've sinned against other people. And we need to call it what it is. We need to call sin, sin, so that we can find forgiveness. Whether that's in not forgiving someone and we've sinned against them by harboring bitterness towards them, we need to repent of that and we need to seek forgiveness. But we also need to give forgiveness because we've been forgiven. But if you're the one who's done the sinning against someone, today is the day to repent. Today is the day to throw yourself at the mercy of Jesus and say, thank you that though I've sinned against you, you have shown great mercy and grace to me. Oh, that I would be changed into someone. Help them to forgive me. And help me to change. Help my heart, my life to be changed. Joseph had to overcome all his emotions in order to be willing to pay the price necessary for reconciliation. And Joseph's mercy tested the brothers' hearts. So what was it going to look like? Were they going to tell Jacob the truth? Were they going to return to Egypt? Folks, really what this comes down to is very simple. Things are far worse than we could ever imagine. And yet things are far better than we could ever imagine. And this is what I mean. Every time you and I sin against someone else is really just a picture of the fact that we've sinned against God. David understood this when he sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah. And he writes, against you, talking to the Lord, against you and you only have I sinned. Every sin, every broken relationship that we have in our lives is actually just a picture. It's a reflection of the broken relationship we have with God outside of Jesus Christ. So things are far worse than you could ever imagine. You have broken relationships that demonstrate a lack of faith. That we need to trust God in those relationships. It demonstrates that there's a brokenness in our relationship with God and we need to trust Jesus. If you're not willing to forgive even the deepest wrong that's been done to you, the only hope we have is to rest in Jesus. 
And it's, it's not something that happens overnight. It's not something that I'm even going to tell you is going to be easy. I'm not even going to tell you it's going to happen this year, this decade. But if God is continually... It took Joseph 13 years. So this isn't easy, to, and this is messy. But it's worth it. It's worth it. So if you're here today and you have a broken relationship within your family, within your friends, whoever it may be... My, my charge to you is to trust Jesus in the midst of this. To understand that the more sin you heap up on someone else, it's also a sin against the Lord. Reminder for each of us is this. The one we sinned against, because this is why things are better. Better than you could ever imagine. Though every sin we do against someone else is a sin against God, the one we've sinned against, God has already reconciled us to himself in Jesus. He's already paid all the costs necessary for reconciliation. He's forgiven us, and he calls us to repentance. Every bit of what's necessary has been done. He's not just out to punish us. He's out to restore us, to reconcile us to himself. So God used the worst sin that mankind could come up with to kill its creator in order to redeem all of creation. That's what God did. That's how bad things were, and yet how good the news is. And so now Jesus, if we look back at Joseph, now Jesus is the one we come before. And we say, without your help, I'm going to die. Without you providing, I'm going to die. Here's my payment. I want to pay whatever it takes in order to get what I need, in order to live. And this is what he says. He says, you're my enemy. You're my enemy. No, 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 I'm your friend. No, you're my enemy. You're my enemy. No, 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 I'm an honest man. You're my enemy. And then what he does is we throw ourselves at his mercy. And here's what he does. He takes, <laughs> he takes everything that we need for life and he gives it to us. And he gives us all of our payment back and says, you can never pay for this. It's only by my mercy and by my grace that you get what you need. That is truly the hope that you and I have is that now we stand before our brother, Jesus, the one who is like us in every way except that he did not sin. But he's also our Lord, the one we must bow before and rest in his mercy and grace. My hope for you and for me today is wherever the brokenness lies, that we would look to Jesus as the only one who can restore and reconcile. Let's pray. Father, I pray that today we would find reconciliation in Jesus. That we would be willing to trust Jesus. That you would change our hearts from trusting ourselves and thinking we can actually muscle through this and figure it out. But instead we would bow before our brother who is king and we would say whatever your mercy dictates, whatever you desire, and that we would trust Him. We would trust Jesus enough to obey Him. Because there's no way, there's no path, there's no path forward in reconciliation. There's no way we can say to the world, be reconciled to God if we're not willing to reconcile with one another. Lord, where we need to be drawn to repentance, draw us to repentance. And where we need to be drawn to forgiveness, draw us to forgiveness. But Lord, we need You to intervene in our lives. We're asking because of the power of Jesus, because of what he's done to reconcile us to you. We're asking this in his name. Amen. We're going to stand.